Welcome to the Sports and Torts podcast and its presentation of college football's last call. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, the boys bring you their thoughts on this week in college football. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to Last Call Week 9 and hot damn, what a week in college football it was that just passed and another incredible week is coming up ahead of us. Just goes to show you all that college football really is the greatest show on earth with all due respect to Barnum and Bailey. Uh, Before we get going though, I do want to take a quick second and make sure we pay proper tribute to Vince Dooley. He, of course, passed away last Friday night just before the Georgia-Florida game. Our thoughts remain with Barbara, Derek, and the whole family. Guys, I'm sure there was lots of liquor being poured out around Georgia and Jacksonville this past weekend in honor of a damn great dog, one of the best in the history of the state and for our university. So, um, Jason Lawrence, welcome. Another wild weekend. Good evening. How are we doing? Doing good, man. And, yeah, and uh, RIP Coach Vince Dooley. As I'm sitting behind me over here, I got an autograph. Vince Dooley, Georgia football. Um, he's you know he's a legend, right? Uh, he brought Georgia a national championship, had the four year run, which was the you know, the golden ages of Georgia football until where I think we are now, right? Uh, um, and he did a lot for the university, a good man, and uh, he will be missed. Yeah, I think it's fitting that he got to see the dogs win the last national championship. Um, so uh, you know, kind of full circle, and uh, but but yeah. Certainly a legend and and one that won't be replaced. I I was thinking the same thing. Um, Very happy that he saw that championship earlier this year. Uh, I think our friend Reese was mentioning that the socials were blowing up on Friday night with everybody with pictures of Vince. He he might be the most photographed man in Georgia. Everybody's got a picture with him. Uh, Hand raised, I don't. (laughs) I I never met him. I never met him. I wish I did, though. Just see, I got the autographed football I wanted to raffle. I met him numerous times uh, during my time in Athens. I used to go grocery shopping at the Kangaroo on Millage. Uh, no, Lumpkin. And uh, I ran into him there numerous times. I do not is have. That, is that while you were grocery shop? your weekly grocery shopping? Yeah, I did my grocery shopping at the gas station. G- yeah, Gans had no business trying to go to Kroger. Publix wasn't really in Athens. But everything that he needed to subside, he was able to get to the roof. Yeah, that was about four years worth of uh, grocery shopping at a gas station. <laughs> So, great trip to the cocktail party for the dogs. Domination kicked ass. Uh, Gans, what you got? Yeah, I think it was a great win. 42-20. Really dominated the game. It could have been a lot worse than 42-20. The score is what the score is. Uh, Hypothetically, though, this thing could have been 56-10. I think uh, we ran the ball very well. I think Brock Bowers showed why he's an All-American. Defense looks stout. I think the bad was through turnovers. Uh, one was kind of a fluke turnover, the Dom Blaylock interception. Don't really blame that on anyone. It was just a good defensive play. Uh, the fumble was just bad luck. The interception to Dejon Edwards is bad. Not that one that that um, uh, that Stett would like back. I think the ugly is losing Nolan Smith for the season. Um, and, uh, and the Gators losing Brenton Cox forever. Yeah, I'm not too sad to see Brenton Cox uh, dismissed. He threw a punch at K-Mac. K- um, I'll tell you, I think our offensive line probably played their most complete and best game of the year. Uh, I know Truss went down with a toe injury. Haven't seen anything since. Hopefully he'll be ready for the week game this upcoming weekend. 
Uh, but man, let me tell you, like uh, 42-20, three turnovers and still beating Florida by 22 points. And what was kind of like, you know, the second half was like, oh, what another ho-hum game except for about a 12-minute scare where they made a little bit of run. Um, you know, the 28 to three flashbacks were coming, coming in full force, but then Georgia, like a championship team went on a six play drive, ran the ball down Florida's throat, scored the next 14 points and pretty much put this game out of, out of doubt. And they covered the spread too. So, um, the tides are turning in Jacksonville, uh, gentlemen, it's not as much of a scary place as it used to be. Did they cover the spread? What did we lock it in? Well, so I guess it middled because earlier in the week it was 21 and a half. I think by game time it was 22 and a half. So they won by 22. So it depends what, what point you got it. But I say it's a cover because um, it was 21 and a half, I guess, when we discussed it last week. It just shows you how good those guys in Vegas are that it really was just right there on the number. So the mentality of watching the game, I'd love to hear what you guys were kind of feeling because, you know, there was never a moment where I was really worried that the game was going to turn out different than a win. Um, which is such a strange feeling watching a Georgia-Florida game. I mean, even in that third quarter when some some wonky things took place and they made that comeback, which I will say coincided with Lawrence coming over to my house. Um, mush. Just mush. <laughs> I mush all day kicked out. I, yeah, it was like me and a couple of guys. It was a small it – was, it was the world's smallest outdoor cocktail party gathering. Uh, Lawrence comes in and, you know, things go to shit for, for 10 minutes. But, yeah, then we restored order. I love seeing kind of the two-headed monster at the end with Edwards uh, and McIntosh, you know, both getting 100 yards or right near it, both getting two touchdowns. Uh, Branson Robinson had some tough runs at the end. Um, I agree. I love seeing that those kind of drives milk the clock away. Um, our, our boy, our boy Milton, is he is he hurt? Is he just bearing a depth chart? I mean, what's what's going on with him? He was hurt this weekend, uh, but honestly, I, he might be buried in the depth chart. Um, one thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change subject real quick. I think we're five and a half minutes in, and how none of us, and I take responsibility for this, have made mention of Brock Power circus catch for 73 yards. I mean, if that's not Sports Center play of the week, you know, highlight film in the first round of the draft in a year and a half, I don't know what is. Yeah, I mean, the way he contorts his body, and he made the play on that ball, uh, it was absolutely ridiculous, uh, and it came right after uh, Big Darnell, Big Zero, dropped one, um, which was a big miss, too, and then we just, just made up for it on a pass that probably shouldn't have been thrown. Uh, but, well, Brock had five catches, 155 yards, and a touchdown. Like he, you know, like you said, he played like an All-American, and uh, I kind of expect to see the same this upcoming weekend. That fourth down catch he had, too, was crazy. You know, they oh, ended up being a free play. Stent chucks one up there, decent pass, but it was a coverage was good. I mean, that was a tough, tough, tough grab. He he shows time and time again that just get the ball near him, give him a chance, and he's going to make the play. And I thought I thought the big O, you know, he just keeps getting better and better every week. A huge weapon in the offense. Um, you know, one of the ugly scans that you didn't mention was Ladin McConkey with another bad drop. Um, I don't know if his confidence level is at an all time low or or something's just off, but. Um, the tight ends are great, of course, but if, if, unless we get A.D. Mitchell back, which every week we keep waiting for it to happen, I feel like our wide receivers, we need, we need some sort of threat downfield, and, and I feel like we're lacking that right now. Yeah, and then and McConkey also got bailed out on what was a questionable pass interference call. Um, Do you think so? I, I mean, like, I rewatched that. I know Gary Danielson was, you know, going nuts, but – yeah, there's a little hand fighting. I don't honestly don't think they should have thrown a flag either way on that call. 
Well, first of all, can we not mention Gary Danielson's name anymore on this podcast? He's like public enemy number one in my book. He is always playing Homer to whoever Georgia plays, especially if it's Florida. Uh, that guy's just, he's about as annoying as all hell. Um, so tired act, I think is the proper word for him. He's a tired act. He is a tired act. I do like Nestler though, but so I rewatched the play oh, yeah. and it looked, you're right. It looked like a little bit of hand fighting, but as, as lad was coming back for the ball, it looked like he pushed off a little bit, came back, you know, I, I give the zebras the benefit out. They called it right, but I guess it could have gone either way. He did make up for it, grabbed the touchdown, but I do think his, uh, his confidence is a little bit shook these days, um, but we got we to gotta keep going to him. We'll take what we get. thought Jalen Carter was a dominating force. I mean, I thought he just, he's a game wrecker. Gans, you said Aaron Donald. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's what he looks like out there. I mean, I, I try to pay attention to him. It's hard when you're following the ball and with camera angles, but – you know, he just he just changes the game. Um, and I felt like our whole defense was doing a good job of getting home a bunch on on uh, Richardson. Didn't get him down as much as I'd like, uh, but we are making pressure, getting him off the spot, taking away that extra half second or second he has to make the decisions, which, you know, kind of looking forward to Tennessee, I think that's going to be the main thing. I mean, we've got to get pressure on Hooker, got to get him on the ground, got to throw him off rhythm. Uh, that's to me, you know, the, the biggest component of the game. I know we'll talk about that in a little bit, um, but I was glad to see a lot of pressure against Richardson. He's trash. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it took him what an hour of real time to get their first first down. Um, his stat line, he had some yards, but his completion percentage was, I think, less than fifty percent. Trash. I think he had twenty yards rushing. Fourteen of them came on one play. He got two hundred seventy-one yards or something like that passing. There was a seventy-three yard busted play. Um, and, and quite frankly, I'm not so concerned with the lack of sack numbers and it taking us until a few minutes left of the game to get him down because all these offensives these days are really they, – they get the ball out so quick, right? In sack, I think sacks around the country are down. Uh, but just being able to contain Anthony Richardson and then the, this up, uh, upcoming weekend, Hendon Hooker is everything that Florida Gator fans want Anthony Richardson to be. So if we can contain Hendon Hooker – you know, if we can get him stopped for, you know, no gain, I'm not concerned about actually getting the sack, the sacks and the pressure, which is keep more keeping him contained in the pocket. Yeah, so going back to Jalen Carter for a second, he eats people. He absolutely – and he eats two people on every play. You know, he, he didn't play a ton, but he absolutely blows up the line. I, I, I like the Aaron Donald, compar- Aaron Donald comparison. No one's as good as Aaron Donald. He's the best defensive player probably in the NFL right now. And he's a lot faster, but Jalen Carter absolutely craters that side. And then you've got someone like Pop that just comes in and cleans up the mess right behind him. Yeah, and Pop played a great game too. Um, saw some freshman mistakes out of uh, Starks in that game, uh, but I thought like Lasseter played well. I thought Pop played well. Jalen Carter's a beast. Um, I thought a solid effort all around, all the way around, other than a couple of busted coverages. There's one person that needs to get better though. Uh, very, very, very important for this weekend. And that's Frankie Ringo. Uh, Ringo, yeah, he's had a tough go of it a few weeks. The guy, like, he just has all American potential. He's six two. He's big. He's fast. He's going to probably be an All Pro, but he just needs to get better. Yeah. So my note, I wrote down between Starks, Lasser, and Ringo, they cannot make any mistakes. They cannot leave Jalen Hyatt running wide open over the middle. Um, they're they're going to have to lock it down. I agree with that. So speaking of Tennessee, we're recording this Tuesday night. We intentionally held off until tonight to do this so that we could have, we could be armed with the information of what the first college football rankings of the 2022 season look like. Lo and behold, Tennessee Volunteers coming to Athens ranked number one. 
in the playoffs. What do y'all think about that? Yeah, congrats to our neighbors to the north. A lot of crystal meth being smoked up in Hook. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love being number three. The motivation that's going on behind the scenes, I think it, it actually takes a little bit of pressure off the dogs. Yeah, yeah. Bulletin board material. First release of the college football playoff rankings. I don't know what the statistics are, but I imagine that uh, however long we've been doing the college football playoff, I imagine uh, the team that finishes, that starts the rankings number one after week eight, you know, I'd like to see what their percentage is of finishing the season number one and bringing home the title. I don't know what that is, Gans. Maybe you do. Do y'all remember what happened the last time Georgia was ranked number three in the playoff? Yeah, we won. I got a bunch of stuff hanging on my wall. (laughs) Let's run it back. So, you know, these playoffs are funny. I I don't really care who's number one right now, but we've always been told that they kind of ignore conferences, ignore certain things. They're trying to, you know, who is the best team. Um, We have a situation where the number three ranked team is currently an eight and a half point favorite over the first ranked team in a game that's being played this weekend. So kind of an interesting uh, setup, an interesting matchup um, when you look at it that way. Ohio State number two read somewhere that they put Ohio State over Georgia because they felt that the offensive unit for Ohio State is much more explosive and has done better. Who cares? I'll take care of itself. Uh, Clemson coming in at number four. I mean, I think we've had them on our board for several weeks now. They edged out Michigan, um, and then Alabama came in at number six ahead of uh, undefeated TCU and undefeated Oregon. What, so uh, who was five? Was uh, Michigan five? Michigan. Interesting. Um, yeah, well, listen, I mean, the, I think what's interesting is this is the first ever top five game played between Georgia and Tennessee this upcoming weekend. Um, there's a lot of interesting storylines coming out of it, starting with the college football playoff rankings starting with the fact that this is probably the biggest game in Sanford Stadium history. First time these two teams have been, you know, as top fives playing each other. Man, it's going to it's gonna be a battle between the hedges on Saturday. Are we getting into that or are we uh, covering other things? Go for it. All right. Well, I, I, I wrote down some stats. Uh, some of them aren't going to surprise you. Some I think will surprise you. Tennessee's averaging 49.5 points a game. Georgia, 42 points a game. Um Tennessee is giving up 21 points a game. Georgia's giving up 10.5 points a game. I think everybody's seen those, right? But if you break it down a little bit further into SEC play, and I will caveat this by saying Tennessee has played a tougher SEC schedule thus far than Georgia. Tennessee's at 43.5 points. Georgia's at 42.5 points per game. Uh, Tennessee is now giving up 25.5 points a game. We're giving up 11.8 points per game. Right. So I think that puts things a little bit more in perspective when you take out the, you know, sisters of the poor that Tennessee's played. They hung 63 on um, and then a few of the others. Sanford, we could have scored 107 on if we wanted to. Kirby's not going to do that. Right. So I think that puts things a little bit more in perspective. And here's something I don't think you guys know. I was shocked to see this, actually. Uh, Stetson Bennett has twenty three hundred forty nine passing yards on the year. And uh, Hendon Hooker has about a hundred yards less. Yeah. He's, but I think Hendon Hooker probably dominates him in the touchdown passes category. But if you do look at their statistics, statistics across the board and it's broken down by yardage tranches, like one to 20 yard throws, 20 to 30 yard throws, 40 plus their numbers are very, very similar. Another good statistic I got for you is university of Tennessee is number one in yards per game and 124th in time of possession. Yeah. Georgia is yep. number two in yards per game 
and number four in yards per possession. So Tennessee is just like quick score, quick score. We 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 rack up the yards, but we we you know again the signs of a, a Georgia football team, a Kirby Smart football team. We we have a strong running game. We burn the clock, and we just we physically impose our will onto these teams. And I think these are all good statistics and good strengths for Georgia coming up this weekend. Larry, just let's continue on that first. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. That's probably the most important thing we talked about so far is control the clock, keep Tennessee's offense on the sideline, let our defense rest. Tennessee's defense is trash, and all people like to go to as well. Their, their, their rushing defense is really strong, and that's obviously a strength of Georgia. But those numbers are skewed also because they've been up on so many teams that, that the, the, the opposing team is chucking mm-hmm. the ball quite and they're throttling their secondary, right? And maybe those numbers are skewed a little. Maybe their secondary is not as bad as it shows. But I think if Georgia can control the clock, not make stupid turnovers, um, that I, I like our odds this weekend. So I'm loving the statistics you guys are coming with today. It's good stuff. The, the data point that I'm looking at is the common opponent of Florida and how those games played out. Um, you know, we, we beat Florida by 22 on a neutral field. Uh, Tennessee had them at home and only won by five, came down to the wire. If you look even closer at yardage, uh, Florida actually outgained Tennessee in that game. Yeah. Florida put up about 600 yards of offense that game. We held Florida, uh, you know, to, to like three-something. We outgained them by 200 yards. I think yards gained is an important metric. It's an important statistic because it shows what you're doing. Uh, but you guys are exactly right. I mean, Tennessee's going to try to strike fast, um, big plays. But if Kirby and Coach Boom and, you know, all, all of our guys, like, if they can't figure it out, no one can, I, I, I've, I've got faith that we're going to have a good game plan coming this weekend. You know, last year, Tennessee started off hot and fast against us. We adjusted. I see that same thing happening. Can we refer to Tennessee as the Cobra Kai then? <laughs> Strike hard? No mercy, sir. Like uh, you must not have received the memo that this University of Tennessee team is the equivalent of the 2019 LSU team. Um, which yeah. I just, I, it, it cracks me up every time I see it. And, and probably the 85 Bears. They're, they're absolutely amazing. At least that's what, what Kirby's telling them right now. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um, I, I wouldn't take any other coach in the country between, to Josh's point, between Kirby, between uh, Coach Boom, between Schumann, scheming up a defense. Like, who do you like better, right? Do you like do you like those three? And then Munkin on the offensive side of the ball with oh, Mike Bobo and Buster Faulkner as analysts. Or do you like Fat Josh Heupel? And by the way, fat guys succeed in Knoxville. We know this. <laughs> but I'll talk guys in this one. An interesting subplot of the weekend for me is going to be what the uh, mix of crowd looks like. We've heard some of our friends are concerned that Georgia fans are selling out these high-ticket prices to volunteer fans that have been sitting on their wallets for years with cash to spend. They're coming into Athens to – you know, gobble up all the tickets. I don't know. I mean, I think there will be obviously a volunteer presence, but there's not going to be a, 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 a noticeable di- difference in what the crowd looks like. Georgia fans are going to be in there. It's going to be crazy. going to be loud. I don't buy this whole thing that Tennessee's bringing a big contingency to Athens. Do y'all think differently? How's the crystal meth market these days? Do <laughs> you have extra cash to burn? Look, I, I, we've had this conversation. I actually did a modicum of research. Uh, they get about six. Tickets, I believe, an allocation, right? Um, 
you know, our students, I don't think our students could sell their tickets. I think it's on their IDs. So right that so right there you've got, you know, eight thousand, ten thousand tickets. Yeah, they're they're gonna have some. I mean, so if they have sixty five hundred, maybe they have twenty thousand people in the stadium out of ninety two, maybe. I don't know. I look for those numbers to be a lot lower in the fourth quarter. Yeah, unless they're having a run on orange overalls at that uh, little shop in five points. Um, I don't see a Tennessee takeover like what we did to Notre Dame, like what we do when we have road trips. Um, well, yeah, we went to Arizona State. We went to Notre Dame, and dog fans just take it over. It's not going to be a 50-50 split. It's going to be 80-20, uh, maybe 75-25. You know, the volunteer fans will pay to get in there, but it's not going to be. It's Our crowd will affect them at some point. They will have a false start. They will jump. Um, it's going to happen. Uh, Georgia fans are not going to let that takeover happen. Can you think of any – we've been to hundreds of games between the three of us. Can you think of a game where the – we were almost – you know, where, where you kind of lost the home field advantage? I, I can't think of anything. Even, that, you know, 2013 LSU, I know LSU's a little bit further. They don't travel probably as easily as, as Tennessee to Athens. I can't think of any game where it's significant. Maybe, maybe Braves-Cubs in like 1998, whenever that was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I remember Bama 2008. Just it just sucking because we got our asses kicked, and maybe the Bama fans were louder because they could. But it wasn't like their presence was was in huge numbers. So, yeah, I, I agree with everything y'all are saying. All right, y'all want to go ahead and get your predictions on the on the score? We usually do it at the end, but sure. we got a lot more stuff to get to. So, um, I don't know if this is one of your sucker bet plays you want to talk about, Lawrence. One of your six packs you probably come funny, up with. But, funny you mentioned uh, that, Josh. It's a good segue. Uh, but first, uh, my sucker bet last week, I took West Virginia. Plus seven and a half against TCU. TCU is up four with 20 seconds left, running out the clock. West Virginia jumps off sides. They run the same play that Stett threw to Brock Bowers on fourth down. Touchdown, 20 seconds left, and Larry's loser was, in fact, a loser. So a bad beat last week, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, I'm sorry to report it. But um, as for this week, there's some games that I like on the board that are really screaming sucker bet. Clemson minus four at Notre Dame, scream sucker bet. Uh, LSU at home getting 13 at night versus Bama, scream sucker bet. But the the game that stands out the most for me, the public is all over. Freshly minted, number one, Tennessee. People are like, there's no way in hell Georgia can cover when it would It opened at 11. It's now been bet down to eight and a half or so, so it is at production here. Um I got got Georgia minus eight and a half. Tennessee is the public sucker bet of the week. You like the dogs. Well, give us a number. What's your eight and a half? I think dogs win 38, 24. All right. I'll give you my number. Uh, I think, look, the important thing is we got to win the turnover battle or just not get our ass kicked in the turnover battle. Um, I like dogs 41, 31. I think Tennessee is going to score a little bit. Um, I like the dogs 41, 31. I've got dogs 38-27. Lawrence, I love where you're coming from. Uh, this is the definition of what the sucker bet is all about, right? I mean, it's kind of that Oregon game in the very, very beginning of the year where the sucker bet was first born, where the number just screams out to take the other side, which we have learned generally means that uh, the home team, in this case, Georgia, is going to is gonna roll. So, um, you know, I've been doing those Facebook posts to predict the score during the year, which has been a lot of fun. They've been pretty unanimous in terms of, Georgia has, 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 has rolled everybody's predictions. Um, Gans, you won last week. You were within three points. You very kindly gifted your prize to next week to we're doubling down. 
I'm really interested in people's predictions and if there is going to be, you know, a smattering of people that uh, are picking Tennessee to win. I mean, clearly Tennessee can win. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see what the general public in our you know, in our yeah, you're, you're heavily weighted with Georgia fans, though, so uh, it may not be an accurate representation of what, what the public thinks. Well, Josh, um, in the interest of maintaining the integrity of this show, I, I could not in good conscience take that gift card, being that we are professionals, and I feel like this is a contest for the amateurs. So that <laughs> dead, whoever wins this week, most likely me, um, well, I'll donate it back again. But if it's somebody else, enjoy your Frappuccino. All right. Well, let's make sure we write these scores down and that way they are locked in. Okay. You know, we, we like to pride ourselves on on taking a trip around the entire nation on this show. Uh, there's tons more to get to. I wanted to make sure we spent time like we just did with the Florida game and the Tennessee game. But lots of other good storylines. I mean, Lawrence, you've got some insider baseball in that Michigan-Michigan State fight. You've got some uh, behind-the-scenes Yeah, man, uh, I was talking to, you know, my company's based out of Southfield, Michigan. Um, the folks that live there are evenly split, Michigan-Michigan State fans. One of my colleagues was at the game, was in the tunnel, saw the fight, saw the uh, Spartan, uh, the four guys, you know, start swinging helmets on the one Michigan guy. Um, I mean, you know, Harbaugh wants criminal charges pressed. It looked violent. Um you know, I have questions like I just want to know how that one guy ends up by himself in the tunnel getting his ass kicked. Um, obviously, the Michigan State guys were completely out of line. I think four of them have been suspended. Um, but looking at the game itself, you know, Michigan went in uh, rivalry game, took care of business, won what, 29 to seven over Michigan State. Michigan State is underachieving. Uh, I mean, more so than anybody could ever imagine after they handed out that huge contract to Mel Tucker. Uh, but Michigan just takes care of business week in and week out. Don't play anyone. Well, they got a big. They got one big game coming up. So I, I, um, you know, I don't want to jump into my the Jimbo of the week. If I was going to name a serial killer of the week, and I think this goes back to uh, uh, the first episode of Sports and Torch, Jim Harbaugh would be the, my serial killer of the week, week in and week out. There's no cat safe in Ann Arbor uh, with that guy running around, uh, and I'll, I'll leave it at that uh, on Jim Harbaugh. Ohio State survived Penn State. So funny, our friends that get all worked up about those games, like, oh, it's so important for Ohio State to lose. Root and Harper, Penn State, like, like we said, like it's all going to take care of itself. Whether they win or lose doesn't really matter. I don't really give a shit. Um, but Ohio State, yeah, you know, they showed that they can be had. Um, but that game flipped. Yeah, that in game a was second. definitely closer it, than the score final score indicated. Uh, Penn State had Ohio State on the ropes for most of that game, and then took a you know, really strong fourth quarter. Um, Ohio State doesn't scare me, man. No, no. I, who they played? I mean, we talked about it last week. We were waiting, we kept saying, you know, this Penn State game. Uh, you know, the more, the more and more you look into it, I, I watched exactly one Penn State game this year when they throttled the trash Auburn team uh, at Auburn, the coachless Auburn team at Auburn. Um, so you know, I, I was at that point, I realized how shitty Auburn was. Um, so I think I had blinders on a little bit to Penn State, but. Yeah, Ohio State's played no one. Let's see what they do against Michigan. The Big Ten is Any down. truth to the rumor Jordan Hare Stadium? Jordan Hare Stadium's been turned into a spirit Halloween. <laughs> uh, ba- it's just a big basketball court, Larry. A few basketball courts. Well, well, that happened this week, too. I mean, you know, their, their, their coach, Hazel, we've been talking for weeks. When's it coming? When's it coming? When's it coming? He was dead man walking. Uh, Lawrence, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you sent out a great uh, tweet today. 
to us about the buyouts that out that Auburn's currently paying yeah. to pass coaches. Yeah, so and two how interesting much things is. that I saw. So since Kirby Smart's taken over as a head coach at Georgia, four programs are currently on or will be on their third coach by the beginning of next season. Florida, Tennessee, Auburn, and Georgia Tech will be on their third coach under the under Kirby Smart in six years. Uh, but what you're mentioning, Josh, is Auburn has paid $37 million in buyouts over the past 687 days. Now, the question there is, <laughs> is A&M going to say, hold my beer? I mean, what's, what's doing better these days, oil and gas or Yellowwood? <laughs> so the Mets lost again. Kiffin took down the Mets. Uh, is his grave officially been, been dug? I, Larry brings up a good point. Ton of money. It, it's I'm running out of material here with Jimbo. I mean, come on, dude, win a game. Uh, Lane Kiffin, as we've stated before, is a national treasure. If we did something positive, uh, I, I tend to be a cynical person. I'd love to do a lane of the week because just the comments that come out of his mouth are just fantastic. I, I can just watch him talk at press conferences. He, he took a few digs at, at uh, Jimbo on his way off the field, which is just absolutely now Lane, Lane's name is being so mentioned I, as a candidate for the Auburn job. What do you, what are the odds you think he ends up there? So I don't I don't want to see Lane in Auburn, but what I heard is even a little more interesting is that Lane is being potentially talked about to replace Saban when the time comes. I, that he would that he would be the heir apparent in Tuscaloosa, so yeah, which makes some I sense. I heard that I mean, from an Alabama fan last week. We were talking and they said, you know, there's a general consensus you know i don't know how large or i don't know how large that consensus is but there's a lot of chatter that lane would be one of the guys they they would target after um after saban steps down um you know originally like you know it was always going to be dabo this dabo that i I don't see it being dabo um it's probably not going to happen for another decade anyway so we're probably wasting our time talking about it yeah you you gotta think dabo's the first call that they make but uh yeah lane i mean listen lane is he's been very successful everywhere he's been. I think Auburn is just a coaching graveyard these days. I think he, I think he's got a good thing going in Oxford. Um, I think there's a lot more politics at play in Auburn. Uh, you're always playing second fiddle to to Nick Saban. You're always recruiting against Kirby Smart on one side and, and Nick Saban or whomever takes over on the other side. So it's a tough gig over there. I think Lane would be dumb to leave Oxford for that job. Maybe something else, but but for the Auburn job, I think would be stupid. I think you nailed it. I think there's there's no reason to leave Ole Miss to go to Auburn for the reasons that you just you just outlined. Um, all right, you got a Jimbo of the week for us though. Yeah, yeah, a few nominees. It was a tough one this week because I was pretty focused on the dogs. Nominees: Bo Nix coming out with uh, if he played Georgia again, uh, you beat them. Um, I see no, he's never beat Georgia, so why start now? Uh, Brenton Cox tossing tossing a punch at somebody, but. The Jimbo of this week, we're going in a different direction, and this name is already up on this show, is one Gary Luicious Danielson III. That guy is a total jackass. <laughs> Out of his mouth. And I know every fan base says they're against this one, against that one. He must have made 10 comments about how AR-15 must have been hurt, and Georgia's terrible, and Florida's the greatest thing ever. I've seen enough of you. I've heard enough of you. Gone. <laughs> That's great. A couple other things that I found to be really funny this week. I don't know if you saw this, but during uh, Billy Napier's press conference, they caught an AP reporter on a hot mic talking to somebody, and he told them to F off. He didn't really care that no matter what happens, that reporter himself is going to be there longer than Billy Napier will be at, the head coach at Florida. It was an Wait, AP reporter. 
Yeah. Oh, he goes, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to be here longer yeah, than Billy Napier will be. Uh, which, which I thought that was hilarious. Uh, the other thing, which I just find to be like just absurd, um, Cristobal, your boy Cristobal, who's always a candidate for the Jimbo of the week, led his team to a 14 to 12 victory in four overtimes over University of Virginia. And Wake Forest, so the, I mean, I guess this is the summary the ACC is just hot garbage, trash. Wake Forest, who coming into their game against Louisville was the number 10 ranked team in the country, had eight turnovers in the second half. That's, a, that's insane. I'm glad you mentioned that Miami game because, you know, when, when you're watching uh, whatever game you're watching and the ticker scrolls by and like your eye gets down there and glances it, and I think I was, said something to you, Lawrence. I was like, Holy shit, did that say 14 to 12 in four overtimes? There's no way that's right. They must have had some number wrong, 34, 32, whatever, one overtime. Like, that's really hard to do. I haven't gone back and read one word about that game, don't really care. But what was the score at the end of regulation? I have no idea. I saw 14 to 12. I, mean, I wish I would have had the under in that game. Um, How do you get I, to 14 to 12 in overtime? Yeah, I don't know. 12. Six, hey, six? There's a lot of Don't empty even... frames in there, Josh. <laughs> no. There's a lot of gutter balls being there's a lot of gutter balls right. being rolled. It had to... All right, we've, we've got some homework to do. Before we wrap up, I've got, I've got a non-college football question that I posed this weekend to some folks. I want to get y'all's take on it. Um, we all agree that this time of year is freaking great sports-wise. You got you know playoff baseball, you've got the NFL, you've got college hitting its stride, NBA, which I know Larry likes, is starting up. Um, great time of year for sports, no question. There's also the time of year, late March, early April, baseball spring training, New Year's Day, you got golf, you got Masters, um, you got March Madness, all that other stuff. Um, what do you all think is a better time of year sports-wise? I can take it this time because I, I prefer football. I love Augusta. I love that, that one weekend. But look at the games this weekend. I mean, then I'm not a huge NFL fan, but if you are, I mean, you've got the World Series right now, which I do not care at all about. I was glad they got rained out last night, uh, but but just college football it, for me is, is where yeah. It's at. So college football is, right. is is the top of the pyramid for me. But if we're looking at the big picture and everything combined, I'm going to take late March, early April because we're hitting spring break. We're getting warm weather. We got March Madness. We got Masters. We got Opening Day, and we're starting to get the spring season and everything that comes with it. So, uh, and heading into summer, the home stretch. So, I'm going to take the early spring uh, on that flip side of the coin. Um, but this time is marvelous as well. If I was an Auburn fan, I would take <laughs> the spring as well. But See that? I just set them up, and, and Red knocks them down. Yeah. Hey, Red is not going to miss a fastball in the inner half. He's just not going to do it. Um, all right, boys. Great stuff, as always. Enjoyed it. Anything that we missed? Um, went down the list pretty quickly. Uh, just Are couple, we good to well, go? A couple more what? things. So I want, a, I, want, I want to hear a prediction from you guys of who you think will be the Auburn head coach. And then the other thing, back to A&M and the, or the Mets and Jimbo. So they play UMass. They have four games left. They have UMass, Florida, Auburn, LSU. They got to win – they got to win. Assuming UMass is a win, they got to beat two out of the three of Florida, Auburn, LSU in order to be bowl eligible. Um, well, LSU yep. is going to be a Auburn's loss. a win. Maybe. I think so. Florida's a toss up. 
I think it's one. I think it's one, one, and one. They they need a ball to boink off the goalpost to win two of those games. Yeah. Uh, one thing I missed was uh, Jermaine Burton's stats this week: uh, zero catches <laughs> for zero yards. He had a good. He got a good week off to rest his punching hand. Yes. About to say the best thing about him is he didn't get arrested this week. Correct. So in terms of the Auburn job, I mean, I think Hugh Freeze is probably the most likely candidate. Uh, that's who I would say is the odds-on favorite. A name I heard that's yeah. interesting, though, is Bobby Petrino. His name always seems to circulate for these kind of openings. But um, I'll go I'll go Hugh Freeze. Yeah, I, I think that's the right pick. I mean, Hugh Freeze did just sign an extension this week with Liberty. Uh, I don't know what that contract looks like, but I think Hugh Freeze is a, is a perfect marriage. Can you imagine right Bruce there. Pearl and Hugh Freeze in a coaches meeting together? Uh, and, and what kind of shenanigans those guys cook up behind the scenes? Uh, also, D, you know, Dion's name is in the mix. I think uh, between Auburn and Georgia Tech, Auburn's probably a, a better landing spot for him. I did, I did see on College Game Day last week that he said he would listen to other programs about making a move. Um, and then I think Matt Campbell's another name to that's getting tossed out there. The guy at uh, Iowa State. It might be burned with these Midwestern guys. You know, so much of it is the culture uh, in, in the Southeast, particularly in uh, Eastern Alabama. So I, I think they need somebody from the South who has experience in the Southeast. We also forgot to mention that our friends down there on the flats got their asses kicked again by Florida State. Um, two steps forward, now two gigantic steps back. So that fan base can't be happy with uh, the interim coach as much as we thought maybe a couple weeks ago he had the insider track. Yeah, I, I don't think it's so much the, the coaching as it is their second-string quarterback who's playing right now. Uh, it seems like they just grabbed him out of the stands. You know, he's in some sort of engineering major that, you know, has a pocket protector and throws uh, as a limp wrist throwing style. Prevention um, <laughs> of the nerds. Um, they can't get the ball downfield. I can't name one player on Georgia Tech. Um, Calvin Johnson. Yeah, he was, he was re- <laughs> Reggie Ball. He's still there. <laughs> yeah, that, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. All right, boys. Well, I look forward to next week us talking about the uh, Georgia Bulldogs taking down the number one ranked in the college football playoff Tennessee Volunteers. It's gonna be an awesome weekend in Athens. Um, can't wait to hear the stories right. come out of it. Go dogs! Right. Go dogs! Till next time, as always, go dogs and keep chopping. Later, guys. Yeah.